lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Happy Monday to y'all. This is the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast with myself, Steve Dace, Todd Erzin, and Aaron McIntyre. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That is the email address, D-E-A-C-E. That's how you spell the last name. You can also like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Parlor at Steve Dace. We went over 10,000 followers uh, over the weekend on Parlor. So thank you very much. You can also go to our Facebook page. I mentioned that already tonight. Yes, the podcast. Uh, subscribe, like us there, leave us a five-star review, and check out our brand new YouTube page at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. That's youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Coming up here on the program today. Uh, next hour, it's our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything version of the weekly town hall. So Todd has uh, gone through the hundreds of questions we had submitted on our Facebook page. As per normal, I don't know what these questions are or what topics you guys will want me to address. I like it that way. I like to be hit with that stuff cold and off the cuff. And we will do so coming up on the next hour of the program. At the bottom of this hour... I've told you I haven't looked much at numbers in this election cycle. I looked at a little bit the last couple of days just out of curiosity, but I'm not really delving in depth. But I've been following the environment closely. And maybe it's just me. But it seems like the environment in this campaign has dramatically switched in the last couple of weeks. And I, and I could be wrong about that. We'll get into that with our good friend Bob Vanderplatz at the bottom of the hour. Find out if you two agree or disagree. But it seems like we've had a bit of a harmonic convergence here. Where we saw a series of unfortunate decisions, if you're a Democrat, by your party and your standard bearer and his campaign. And then you had a convention that was far left kooky. And then... It's almost as if the Republicans, and I I hasten, or hesitate, I should say, I hesitate to do this based on my long and unfortunate experience in the Republican Party, but it it seemed almost as if the Republicans like paid attention and came up with a convention and a message that was specifically tailored to counter the the corner the Democrats backed themselves into. Like, you've heard me for years complain that the Republican Party wants to serve the customers it wishes it had, right? Not the customers it actually has. You've heard me say things like that before, right? Doesn't it seem like for the first time and man, I don't know how long, they spent a week serving the customers they actually have. And lo and behold... The whole environment has changed. The, it, it feels that way to me. And I offer up as evidence confirming my hypothesis, my, my premise here, that Joe Biden's leaving the basement, guys. I mean, the plan was hunker down and keep locked down until there's a vaccine meant. We can keep Joe Biden in the basement <laughs> until the election. All right, I think that's what it really meant. And I think he feels there's been some tremors in the force, and now he's going to have to put his dementia. I'm sorry, um, his uh, his candidacy out there. So we'll get into that at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. 
what happened while we were away. Brought to you by Franz Ferdinand. Is that you? It was another weekend of violence on the streets of some American cities, especially Portland, Oregon, where a caravan of Trump supporters decided to perform a drive-by rally with hundreds of cars driving through the heart of the city. You can probably guess how that turned out. As they drove from their staging area to the downtown area of Portland, they were met with Antifa terrorists pelting their cars with rocks from an overpass. Then, once the caravan showed up in downtown, the Trump supporters and Antifa terrorists clashed. The evening's events culminated, sadly, when a Trump supporter named Jay Bishop was shot and killed execution-style on a Portland street. those of you who couldn't hear Antifa members call out, quote, we've got one over here, we've got a Trumper over here, before the Trump supporter was shot. After the murder, Antifa terrorists held a rally and celebrated the killing by burning a flag. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler blamed the violence on President Trump. We've had to listen to your anti-democratic attacks on journalists. We've read your tweets slamming private citizens to the point of receiving death threats. And we've listened to your attacks on immigrants. We've listened to you label Mexicans rapists. We've heard you say that John McCain wasn't a hero because he was a prisoner of war. And now... You're attacking Democratic mayors and the very institutions of democracy that have served this nation well since its founding. In Oakland, California, 700 black bloc militants marched through the town chanting, Death to America! The mainstream media and some Democrats, apologies for the redundancy, have finally taken notice of the riots. MSNBC's Joy Reid tweets, The riots are not Black Lives Matter marches gone wrong. Armed white nationalists are mobbing these cities to take advantage of protests and scare fellow white people into quietly siding with them. CNN's Chris Saliza tweets, Trump's efforts to label what is happening in major cities as riots speaks at least somewhat to his desperation, politically speaking, at the moment. Saliza attached a picture of a burning building to that tweet. Kamala Harris, who literally promoted a fundraiser to bail rioters out of jail during the Minneapolis protests, joined Joe Biden in condemning the violence without specifying, of course, Antifa or Black Lives Matter involvement. Moving on, and in coronavirus news, a New York Times expose over the weekend sounded the alarm on how the United States is testing for the disease. Essentially, what the Times found is that the threshold for detecting the presence of the virus via PCR testing, which is the method the vast majority of tests in the United States have used to detect the virus, has been artificially amplified to the point that, under normal circumstances, anywhere from 40 to 90 percent of a state's lab results for COVID would not be positive. 
Much more on that later on today's show. Also, the CDC confirmed what they published not long ago. Just 6% of coronavirus deaths in the United States were caused solely by COVID-19 during the pandemic, while 94% had another serious underlying condition. Ethical skeptic, a researcher and data analyst, and a must-follow on Twitter for coronavirus analysis, put these numbers into perspective. He estimates around 45,000 deaths were caused by the virus, while another 118,000 would have died later in the year. He also estimates around 47,000 people were killed as a result of the lockdowns in the United States. Check out this shot of tens of thousands of people packed around the Lincoln Memorial and reflecting pool this weekend. Not sure why I put that in there, just random facts with Aaron. Presidential election polls, the real clear politics polling average of battleground states shows Joe Biden with a 2.7 point advantage over Donald Trump. Back in 2016, Hillary Clinton enjoyed a 4.6-point advantage at the same time. A new Zogby poll shows Donald Trump garnering 20% of the black vote. Zogby is a C-plus rated pollster by 538. And finally, leftist online blogs if Trump loses the election. Okay, traffic is way down. Congratulations, Kamala got nine shares. Press conference goes smoothly. The first lady looks nice. No one's reading this garbage. What is this, a listicle of the top one worst former presidents? Orange retard leaves White House a mess? He's just a guy now, no one cares. Look, okay, I'm like 20 years old and I hate Trump. That's pretty much all I know. You're supposed to be journalists. Give me something, a homophobic governor, a sexist senator. You know, Biden's a white man. This is supposed to be our bread and butter. Run Biden's the real racist. Oh, we're just gonna use right wing talking points now? Kamala was a pig, that's gonna be something. She's beautiful! Or, it doesn't matter if she's beautiful. I don't even know what to think anymore. And that's what happened while we were away. Ton to get to out of that montage on today's show, but then also in the overtime, you had Aaron give you a lot of updates of what's been going on with riot culture, the ongoing insurgency against America. We're going to get into that more in the overtime today because Kenosha, Wisconsin police have announced that the arrests that they made out of what transpired last week were individuals who came from, get this, 44 different cities. 44 not four like if if it was 14 agitators from different cities we'd be like wow that was clearly like an orchestrated event right we'd be like clearly this is like an organized attempt at destabilizing at the very least kenosha if not using kenosha to help destabilize america it was like 14 cities right if it was like 24 we'd be like mind boggled 44 44 different cities, folks. If that is not evidence of domestic terrorism, then nothing is. And we will get into that today in the overtime. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. That's where you can go if you'd like to subscribe to Blaze TV. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. Go there. You'll get a discounted subscription today. You won't miss the overtime or any of the other exclusive content we do each day here at Blaze TV. And then if you're already a Blaze TV subscriber, thank you. And just go to blazetv.com slash days later today when you'll be able to watch it once it gets posted. We'll get into some of those election numbers. And if you're going to follow, if you want to get into the polls now that we're past convention, let me help you with the mistake I made in the last election. Except the, the electorate is too polarized around the country. In fact, it's balkanized. There's too many places a Democrat can't win no matter who they nominate. And too many places a Republican can't win, no matter who they nominate. And so really, the, if you're going to follow any polling at all, the only polling trend line that really matters 
is what's going on in those swing states and those battleground states. And if you go back, I've made this mention before, the Real Clear Politics polling average almost nailed Hillary Clinton's victory margin in 2016. The polls were not wrong. I mean, there's, there were some polls that were way off and some that were closer. That's why you use an average. There's no perfect, perfect pollster. That's why you want, you know, wisdom in a multitude of counsel. That's why we like the RCP average. And it almost nailed the 2016 general election. Popular vote. But if you go look at those battleground state polls, as we came to election day, they were almost all within the margin for error all over the country. But a lot of the forecasters, myself included, figured that Hillary had the organizational advantage because we saw the same thing in 2012 when the battleground state polls across the country were also very close. And then and within the MOE and then Barack Obama organizationally made that margin up on election day and won a lot of those states by two to four points. We figured Hillary would do the same. She didn't. And we were way too confident in our forecasts. Those were wrong, not the polls. So what those battleground state polls are telling you right now is the race is within the margin for error where it matters the most. And they, it, the race wasn't within the margin for error where it matters most a few weeks ago. I think things have changed quite a bit. But we'll get into that to, at the bottom of the hour with our good friend Bob Vanderplatz. I want to zero in now on the fact that it is possible there's fewer than 700,000 actual cases of coronavirus in America. Fewer than 700,000. Because it is possible we've overestimated our count by 90%. If you take 90% away from our current count as of this morning, that would be 617,560 cases. Now, how is it possible that we could have overestimated our count by 90%? The New York Times story that came out over the weekend, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say about this. As, as skeptical... As I have been all along since the hard data never added up to all the panic porn we were receiving, this New York Times story about how poor our COVID testing is, it took my breath away. Basically, the New York Times has confirmed that we, we knifed our civilization for nothing. Now, the virus isn't nothing. That's not what I'm talking about. But we knifed our civilization for nothing. All, in, all beginning from a very flawed premise. Now, allow me to explain. Okay, let me unpack this story for you. The PCR testing we've largely been using for coronavirus is too slow and too sensitive, which some people have been pointing out for months. And some of them were even getting banned from social media for making this point and saying this. One of the people who warned about the road we went down, it, it, it was once considered uh, the world's leading infectious disease expert until about March 12th. <laughs> he was the world's leading infectious disease expert until he dared advocate hydroxychloroquine as an effective treatment for COVID-19. And March 12th was the date that President Trump uh, cited his findings at a White House coronavirus task force briefing. And now suddenly uh, Didier Realt was a quack. 
Uh, but he pointed out the proper, proper viral load threshold for coronavirus way back on March 26th. He suggested a level of 30 in this paper. That was published, as you can see on the bottom, on March 26th, over five months ago. He said, because anything, he says in this paper, anything below a, a viral threshold sensitivity level of 33 is not contagious. However, the PCR testing that we have been using in this country is a level of sensitivity as high as 40, anywhere from 37 to 40. That's where it could be we're off from 40 to 90%. It varies by state. Some states go to 37, some states go to 40. If they all did 40, we'd be off by 90%. Real was ignored by our CDC, you know, that whole trust the experts thing, uh, and other countries throughout the world. For reasons the New York Times doesn't really explain, we put an unprecedented sensitivity level on the coronavirus testing instead. I'll leave it up to each of you to determine for yourself why we would have made such a decision and what the motivation to do so would have been coincidentally in an election year with the greatest economic economic boom we've had in 20 years. You can decide for yourself why we would have created such a high threshold for this virus. I can't think of any reasons really why we might consider doing something like this. I'm at a loss, so I'll leave it up to you. But by making the threshold significantly more more sensitive than it needed to be, we amplified what are essentially viral artifacts as positive tests, meaning the patient had so little of the virus or had shed the worst of the virus so many cycles ago that the patient was no longer contagious, yet was still being rendered as a positive case nevertheless. Newsweek has a story out today about all those positive tests at the University of Alabama you've been reading about with the students coming back. No hospitalizations. Almost no one has shown up symptomatic so far. That ties into this. Our sensitivity level for what is a positive test is extraordinarily higher than it should be. So a whole bunch of people, a lot of them young people, are testing positive when they're either asymptomatic and not contagious, or they, because of their health level, shed the virus several cycles ago. All that's left are the artifacts of, of the virus having already gone through their system. To quantify this for you, 40 to 90% of positive tests in state labs across the country are no longer positive. Depending on whether their positive test threshold is 37 or 40. And therefore, those people are past the point of being contagious. That's right. In some states, their positive case rate could be exaggerated by 90%, according to the New York Times. Allow that to sink in for a moment. 90%. This also means we forced how many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across the country to self-isolate or quarantine who never had to. And that's just because of false positives due to bad testing. That doesn't even count the millions we locked down out of the panic over asymptomatic spread. And what you find is these asymptomatic people's threshold is below the line of contagious in most cases. 
That was the whole impetus behind the lockdowns. All these people were going to test asymptomatically positive, and then they'd go out and infect grandpa, who we didn't save anyway, and got a bunch of people killed in the nursing homes. When it turns out, if you're asymptomatic, chances are your score on this sensitivity test is so low, you're no longer contagious. From the beginning, we were told to trust the experts, except there were experts sounding the alarm about lockdowns and this testing scam all along. They were ignored, except on shows like this. On April 27th, Dr. Scott Atlas of Stanford University, that is one of the top five medical schools in this country, came on this show. And what did he warn us about? That we were destroying ourselves with junk science. We were throwing out the laws of biology, virology, immunology. He kept referring to this over and over again, acting as if there was no established science. We didn't know what a coronavirus was. We've been studying him for 60 years because they cause one of the causes of the common cold. Instead, we acted as if we were in the dark ages. He has sadly been proven right over and over again. Now, thank God that he's now on the White House Coronavirus Task Force. While President Trump made a colossal blunder not placing people like him there five months ago and surrendering the country to the media-beloved quacks of Fauci and Burks, Democrat presidential nominee Joe Biden is out there arguing for even more of this scam. Says he'll listen to the exact same people who screwed us on all of this already. Once again, folks, we as a country have been failed by our bureaucratic state. Given the damage done to our freedoms, healthcare system, and economy based on our reaction to this virus, this may be our government's biggest failure yet. This is a rock plus tarp plus Obamacare times 10. At the very least, after the initial 15 days to flatten the curve, the last five months of hell we've put ourselves through was for nothing. Zip, zero, zilch, nada. All that suffering, all those family businesses, all that time away from loved ones, all those family events, all the division for nothing. But because our bureaucratic state sucks at life and has too little accountability. Oh, and one more thing. Sweden was right the whole time about everything. Look for yourself. Gentlemen, your thoughts. It's it's striking that this is in the New York Times. Uh, and when you compare it to what you're going to be talking with Bob, like the, the change of the landscape right now, is there just enough critical mass going on in enough places that people can i know the depths of depravity can go really really low and we'll keep lying to ourselves about any number of things but there's just so much lying going on and on so many i think the dam is just breaking if this is in the new york times and if we are seeing what we think may be happening it doesn't matter like orange man bad or anything like i can't with kids going back to school might be the thing like that's a lie i love my kids and here i am thinking they should go back to school how can i believe all this other panicky nonsense how can i believe all this stuff about lighting inner cities on fire and it's always the air going the wrong the same direction these are democrat controlled places and they can't believe that nonsense about you know it's trump because he's racist i just think i the dam just seems to be breaking if this is in the new york times they're like I, we've rode this train for 
six months now. I, I can't, in good conscience, do this anymore. I don't know what else to say. Aaron? Yeah, I don't. I was talking to this about uh, talking about this to my father-in-law last night, and and he said, "Well, you know, if the New York Times is saying that, uh, I, I trust them more to lie than I do to tell the truth, actually." And so it's like you're, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And and the author of this of this expose in the New York Times actually says, "Well, this is not an argument for less testing. It's actually an argument for yeah. more testing." It's like. Uh, okay okay but to illustrate part of your point todd the, the thing that i keep trying to figure out over the last five months what do the what do the vast majority of the american people actually think about this actually think about the response to coronavirus because on the one hand i see those stories that we've had and those studies that that have been put out about my generations and and other generations um you know what they think the actual risk to them is how worried they are about the virus and and one of those studies said upwards of uh like nine million people or whatever it was they thought had died from the virus here in the united states i see that and then I hear from the listeners on our show, and it's just this this dissonance here. And as I was prepping for some of the B-roll in that video, I, I went back and I just Googled trust the experts, and I Googled follow the science, and I put a custom date range on there of just March, just March, March thir- uh, 1st to March 31st. And it's so strange, and it's very eerie that I would see stories about how uh, there's a study that says most Americans don't trust the experts. And then right next to it, it, sh- it says most Americans trust the experts. I, like, how do you reconcile these two things? How do you even figure out where we are as a people with this virus? I, I just, I, I don't know what this is. You talk about the critical mass, Todd. I mean, people want to go back to work, but at the same time, I see people, uh, I see, uh, you know, I, I see local governments, I see state governments still getting away with just ridiculous measures. California, of course, you expect that from California, but California is the most recent ridiculous example, trying to essentially prolong the e- economic fallout of this with some new guidelines. I just don't know how much more the American people will tolerate, or on the flip side, I don't know if the American people are still so freaked out that they're going to allow this to continue because we just, again, I just don't see how these, these sets of data, these opinions are reconcilable. I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out maybe come election day. I, I, there's, there's an easy, well, not easy. There is an answer to what you each articulated. There's two wholly separate countries and cultures that are living here simultaneously and in the middle are a whole bunch of people who don't aren't informed don't care about most most of this and are just kind of living instinctively okay so instinctively in march which is still cold and flu season there's a bad virus it's winter allergies are about to arrive with the spring instinctively it made sense to for for that herd of people to go along with that prevailing mood, okay? But the in- instinctively, it goes the other way now. Instinctively, it's like, I got to get back to work. That bill expired, that unemployment bill expired on July 31st, man. I got to get back to work. I got bills to pay. 
I, my kids got to get to school. They're driving me nuts. Number one, but number two, you know, my you know, she wants to cheerlead, play basketball, volleyball, cross country. He wants to play football. Yeah. Bask. We got to get our lives back. Yeah. And, and also, so there's been no piles of ash yes, anywhere. Yes, and so instinctively. The, the winds that were blowing in, in March and April are blowing in the other direction now. Right. And, and so that doesn't mean there's 40% here and 40% there and then there's 20%. That's not what it means. That model doesn't exist anymore. There's very few people that are really, really committed to a constitutional form of government. And there's very few people that are really, really committed to a Marxist form of government. In the middle are a bunch of Americans who instinctively are pro-America. They just can't really quantify that because they've been diseducated or miseducated. Instinctively, they want to rally around the flag, but they they don't really, you know, a lot of a lot of the the values that it was founded upon, they weren't taught. So they're just they're living instinctively. And they're caught between an invading army and those of us that are on the wall trying to hold the Visigoths back, okay? They're caught between. And the reason why you can see sudden sea changes, like what we just, like what we sense we're seeing with this election yeah. cycle right now, is because that, that instinctive group is like, all right, man, enough. I, I just got to live my life now, right? Yeah. It's fall. I got to get to school. I got to get to work. You know, I got, I got Christmas presents to buy in a month or two. I got to live my life. And so that instinctive airflow is now blowing in our direction. I think that explains what you're talking about. We'll get into more of this, though, with Bob Vanderplatz in a moment. We were just discussing this a minute ago, but I mean, so many students across the country are still caught up in the politics of coronavirus and their education hangs in the balance too. So to support this next generation of freedom loving Americans, Patriot Mobile is running a school days promotion right now until September the 12th. You can choose either a free phone or a free month of service when you switch to America's only conservative cell phone carrier that's patriot mobile plus instead of charging you hidden fees and funding a bunch of left-wing gobbledygook patriot mobile will donate a portion of your bill to students for life instead so you can get the same reliable nationwide service while supporting a company that shares your values and puts people before profits not to mention switching is easy you can keep your phone number bring your own phone buy a new one if you wish to do that take advantage of the school days promotion right now by calling 972 patriot using the promo code steve at 972 patriot or just go to the website patriotmobile.com slash steve that's patriotmobile.com slash steve let's welcome in our good friend bob vanderplatz here from the family leader good to see you sir how are you I'm doing really well, other than suffering from the seasonal allergies. Uh, I don't know about you guys. You guys are affected by the pollen rate out here or the smoke coming in from California. I don't know what it is. It's high in Iowa right now. Is it? It okay. is, right. but I'm doing good. All right. I feel better, more refreshed since I'm sitting next to you. Well, that, I have that effect on people never. So, <laughs> so I've never heard that. 64 days from today is the 2020 presidential election. And... You and I have been talking about this for months, and I've brought it up on the air a few times. I, I couldn't tell you what a lot of the data is. I've not looked at it, not studied it, and you know that is 
not how I typically roll, right? I mean, I've got this stuff sure. memorized. I do have all the data memorized. It's just on COVID and not the election. I've seen a couple of things that I have found interesting, though. Um, Real Clear Politics is polling average of battleground states at, right now compared to where it was post-convention four years ago. And um, essentially, it's less. Uh, Biden has less than a three-point edge, which is it's a margin for error, basically. Sure. Basically a toss-up. And I have, though, been closely studying the environment. And it feels to me like there has been a massive sea change in the environment, Bob. And I, and I think it's, it's been a harmonic convergence here. It's like when you're watching a game and there's a moment when a, it, the other side seemingly has all the momentum. But I, you know what? I remember a Michigan-Iowa game. I'll, I'll, since we're not going to have uh, football, maybe this fall, there was a Michigan-Iowa game when I was at my senior year in high school. We came into Iowa City. You guys jumped all over us. You were up like eighteen to nothing or something in the first half. And Hayden Fry tried a fake punt. Do you remember this game? I do remember. I remember Both these teams were in the changes. top ten. Yes. Yep. Hayden Fry tried like a fake <clears throat> punt. We blocked it, like right before halftime, and returned it for a touchdown. And Iowa didn't score again the rest of the game. And the final was like 45 to 18. All right. It was just like the, the floodgates just kind of opened. And the, the, the momentum the, shifted. Yes. And you could just feel it even watching on TV. If you were in the stadium, you could yep. sense that, uh-oh, something changes. And it, it feels like that has happened here in the last few weeks. And what's happened is uh, there's been a, a, a confluence of events here. Joe Biden's, um, I think, running mate choice was a disastrous choice. He, they chose someone who their own primary electorate, Bob, laughed off the national stage. She didn't make it to the Iowa caucuses. Two months before Iowa, she dropped out, yeah. in fact. And now it's historic, and we need to vote for it because it's yes. historic. Yes. So her own primary electorate didn't think she was a viable candidate. That's his running mate. Then it's, we're, we need to lock down for Evs, okay? Mr. Lockdown, uh, listen to Fauci and Burks more. And then the convention they put on, they offered no room for normalcy at all. Like Joe Biden was supposed to be the soft landing candidate. If you live in the suburbs where you and I live and you just don't personally like Donald Trump, you, they nominated Joe Biden so that you could feel like he's not one of these Marxist Democrats. It was safe to vote for him. And instead, they just went, it was a kookathon. And then the Republicans seemingly put a convention together specifically designed to answer or, or take advantage of the opening that the Democrats provided. I think a lot of us were fearful when we saw everybody other, everybody named Trump other than Barron and the sister who wrote that uh, that gold-digging book that's out right now. We're all going to speak. We thought, oh, this is going to be just a slurpathon, right? Just all going to be fearless leader crap that even if you like Trump, most people can't stand. Instead, it like wasn't any of that, okay? It could not have been more pro-America. It could not have been more... At requiem for the common man and it was it, it was like they specifically tailored it i don't know maybe they watched the democratic convention maybe they were originally going to do that and they thought guys there is a massive opening here they fumbled the ball let's pick it up and run it in the end zone and and see if that doesn't change the momentum of the game it certainly seems like the whole environment has changed your thoughts well, i think you're exactly right and there's a lot of things that are happening though too in addition to the convention i thought and first of all Hat off to the Republican National Con Committee for putting on a convention like this. How often have we said that on this show? Or have yeah. you felt yeah. like it was safe to come on this show and say that? <laughs> and the thing is, our bar is pretty low, right? Yes. We didn't think that they could do it. And I tell you what, it was masterfully done. I mean, there's only a couple of speeches where I thought, eh, I wish we could have done without those. But by and large, I thought they just threaded a needle. 
and it had to be prepared before the Democrat National Convention. I don't think they could pivot that quick with a lot of pre-taped speeches. So, in other words, do you think the Democrats just made a tactical error by playing right into their hands? And the Democrats, I think, played right into the hands of their base, which played right into the hands of what the Republicans wanted to thread, and that is pro-Americana. And so when you got Pence and Trump raising American flags, Trace Atkins uh, singing the Star Spangled Banner, you're basically saying, if you want to stand on the flag, you want to be with us. You want to kneel to the flag, you want to be with them. I'm going to stand with the flag every time. I think that's where you get some of that momentum. But the other thing that happened during all this is Kenosha, Wisconsin. That's the other event. I mean, Kenosha, Wisconsin, that just sent a message to everybody in middle America or anywhere in America this could happen to you. You're not safe. Uh, we're going to get into this later. Yeah, you're you're going to burn today. down your cities. Are you kidding me? 44 d- different cities represented the arrests police said in Kenosha, Bob. 44. That's not some spontaneous combustion over a controversial shooting. That's clearly an organized act of insurgency. So to take advantage and exploit yeah. it. So I think when Trump is talking about law and order, this is a vision of two completely different Americas. I think, Steve, what you said early on about why you would be in for Trump this time, it's a battle of worldviews now. It's it's not about orange man bad, orange man good. This side's going to take your worldview, your America that you believe in. They're going to take it completely one direction where Trump and his team are take completely another direction and i believe since they've gotten so brazen and how far they want to run left i think it's made trump more brazen and how far he wants to run right and that's where i think we get the feeling what we need to find out and after reading nate silver uh this morning is it more than a feeling does the data back up the feel i think everybody's feeling the feeling is it more than a feeling does the data gonna back i can tell you this point at this point bob i don't know what data to look at really I'm probably going to follow the RCP battleground state average. And then after that, I, I don't know who I can trust. I don't know who is being honest with you. you. Bet. And in a way, this seems like we're setting up for a replay of the 1988 election. And if you go back to that election, um, the environment was in favor of, of Democrats, they had had a strong midterm election in '86. Of course, you have it's difficult to win a third term after you, you know, grandfather out a president. It's 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 difficult. It's difficult for any party to do that. There were there was unease with George H. W. Bush. Remember the wimp factor? What you know the vision thing, right? You know it, 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 what's he running on and all that kind of stuff. And he was way, 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 way behind. Uh, in the polls. I think there was even a Gallup poll in June that had him infamously down by like 17 points or something. Mm-hmm. And then they had their conventions and um, Michael Dukakis openly, we're going to raise taxes, we're going to do this, blah, 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 blah. And and that created an opening for Bush. The, the ultimate applause line at his convention speech was what? Read my lips, <laughs> no new taxes, right? And they, be prudent. Yeah, they dropped the hammer on that. Now he ended up violating yeah. it and it cost him his presidency. Sure. But if from that time forward, you know, Dukakis ran as a proud Massachusetts liberal at the time, which in 1988, we'd be like, could we have more Democrats like that in 2020, yeah. right? But in 1988, it was like a scandal that he was like a card-carrying member of the ACLU, right? They Willie Horton, I mean, nowadays, Republicans want to let violent criminals out. It was a scandal in 1988 that you even did this in Massachusetts. But but Dukakis, for what was considered left-wing at that time, so decided to occupy earnestly that space that 
he created the opening for George H.W. Bush to walk in and be the kind of candidate that in, in, in his own way, Ronald Reagan was, that he didn't like himself when he ran against Reagan, but that's where the opportunity presented itself. And I wonder, and, and we went from in June, it looked like Michael Dukakis was going to coast to a win, and on election day, he got destroyed. I wonder, are we look setting up for a similar well, I, I, I do believe. As a matter of fact, uh, the phone calls I've taken, the emails I've received, you're seeing people who are feeling this feeling. Like, this isn't just going to be a win for Trump. This is going to be a slam dunk for Trump. I think Trump senses it as well. That's why he, he continues to go out on rallies now. And then he mocks Biden about after Labor Day, he's going to come out of his basement. That's 10 days from now. Mm-hmm. In Trump land, that's an eternity, meaning mm-hmm. we're going to be all over the place by then. So he's just highlighting the contrast. The other thing that I'll say, though, Steve, is anecdotally, uh, there are more Trump barn signs and flags everywhere around where, where I see, where I bike, where I ride, all those things, than I see anything with Joe Biden. So what do you two think really quick? What do you guys think? I just think the confluence of events, I, don't, the, I think the Big Ten versus the rest of college football starting in the optics. There's there's no solid footing to fall on Biden and the left right now. If you're not transgendered or burning a city down or just want to lock everything, like what's the other thing they give you? Well, right. at least there's that. What's, there, the, what's there, the safe landing there spot? Is nothing. There is nothing. nothing. And nothing. that's where, again, you can handle that for, I hate Trump for one month, two months. We are on month six and you're sending your kids back to school and there's just a psychology involved here. Like I... You're not giving me a single, single safe place to land. I I will lie to my teeth that I ever voted for Trump, but I'm still going to do it. It reminds, you know, Aaron, we had this conversation, was it just a week or so ago on this show about the bubble of the Biden campaign? The number of people in his in, in the internal polling that said they were voting against Trump as opposed to yeah. voting for him. And I'd never seen a number like that. Where it was it was plus twenty points for voting against Trump, and I just said, guys, you can't sustain that negativity for a long period of time. That's just not how human nature works. People for presidential elections need to feel like they're voting for something. And is it possible that the Biden campaign is this is a bubble when a, when a market gets overinflated? Mm-hmm. Are, is, did are we watching that bubble pop right now, Aaron? I think we very likely could be, and I, I think the thing with feeding the negativity and relying on that for so long is that that can actually. Bo- boomerang on you okay so uh, i don't like trump because he's a misogynistic racist homophobic uh, xena uh, you know a xenophobe as well um you know i i don't like him personally but then your option is the guy whose supporters are burning down kenosha that can burn boomerang on you really really quick and then the other thing that i would say as well I, I wish I really had just a, a heart or a window into the heart of the everyday uh, American, just kind of the average everyday man or woman who, when cases and deaths started to subside in June, and then the riots and the the, the marches and the lack of social distancing and masks and all that thing, all, all of that picked up during June, and they thought, okay, that's fine. Uh, maybe this is maybe this is a legitimate a legitimate reason to march as well. But now this weekend, after our second wave or whatever you want to call it, you see tens of thousands of people packed around the wash or the uh, Lincoln Monument as well as well as the reflecting pool. Mm-hmm. How does that play? You talk about mm-hmm. psychology as well. How does that play? I don't think you can. One time, maybe people will be generous and yep. say, "I'll let that slide." The second time, are you serious? I can't. I'm in the Big Ten footprint. I can't watch my college football team. Yeah. I can't send my 
kid and, to school. Yeah. But yeah. you guys can, I can watch this and, on and my news. Yes. And here's the thing as well. And President Trump tweeted this uh, a big play the other night as well. If you're in that big 10 footprint, or if you're in a state like Michigan, where there's basically no football whatsoever being played this this year, and you're watching Austin P versus Central Arkansas yeah. on Saturday night yeah. in an exciting game, what are you thinking right exactly. now? Exactly. By the way, any of those players dead yet? They're still, all still, did they make it out alive? The only piles of ash are in the Democrat-controlled cities that are burning yeah. them down. Damn and it. I think I think where they're cornered here, I know they're gonna they're, they want to try to outflank Trump now and blame the riots and everything on him. The problem is, and, and Lisa Booth is a great follow on Twitter, by the way, very glib. She just made this point, and instead of stealing it, I want to give her credit. Okay. Um, she tweeted out, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris actually thought President Trump was responsible for the rioting, why didn't they blame him and mention him then at the Democratic convention? Why didn't it come up then? When they had the whole platform to themselves, why didn't they use that to pin the rioting on him? They, as a party, got caught with their hand in the cookie jar here. They got caught doing out loud in the broad daylight what shows like this have been telling you for years they've been doing, which is playing footsie with these insurgent leftist groups in order to feel like they could manipulate them or target them or corral them, Bob, to get the power they want. And now this genie is out of the bottle and everyone's watching this play out on their television sets and they're seeing that it, there were three Antifa arrests in Portland yesterday, okay? A social worker of, of, and, and two teachers, a band director. All, one of them was a band director. All white. You can't people, make this stuff up. And people are seeing that, why, why, you know, my teacher's union that doesn't want my kid to go back to school, how come they have the same rhetoric as Antifa? Gee, I don't know. All people may be sinful. You've heard me say this for years, right? Yeah. But they're not all stupid. Hey, I think you're exactly right. And, and the genie is out of the box. They have supported this stuff. They're burning down their own cities. They thought it was going to hurt Trump. When you get Don Lemon on CNN saying, guys, we need to back off you know, the, the, the riots in these cities because it's starting to hurt us in the polls, the whole idea was let's make an unstable America and we'll get Joe Biden in. Let's make an unsafe America and we'll get Joe Biden in. Let's keep everybody locked down. We'll get Joe Biden in. The problem is people are starting to see through it, as Aaron just pointed out. As they're seeing through it, they're going to hold them accountable. I just swear Trump, I think Trump is right to just double down on this. And if I were him in that Big Ten footprint, I would make it part of my campaign speeches. Let's play football. Let's get him back in the game. I think stay on the law and order. Stay on the reopening. The, the, they, the Democrats have given you all kinds of room now to even be moderately pro-reopen and look like you're fully on board. Like you could be reopened with a mask mandate now and you look, you look reasonable compared to the position that they have staked out. They have just essentially said, we will give the entire mainstream to Donald Trump if he wants it. I think that's what we've watched take place in the last couple of weeks. And if there's anything Donald Trump understands... It's how to take advantage of an opportunity when it's presented to him. And I think what we're seeing, Steve, is, is we're hopeful that Common Sense America sees this. And that's why the feeling is he's going to win and win big. We're going to find out what you think when we come back. It is our Monday Town Hall, our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything edition. I look forward to seeing the topics you will want us to address when we return. And greetings. Happy Monday. Back for hour two. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. Our Monday town hall coming up here 
in just a few moments. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Parlor at Steve Dace. Last name is D-E-A-C-E. And you can go to our new YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Steve Dace and get free samples of this show that you can view each day. Share with others if you wouldn't mind. Uh, also, if you're a podcast listener, we love you all too. Thank you very much for carving out some time for us each day. Uh, please make sure to keep smashing that subscribe button for us. Leave us a five-star review wherever you podcast from. Thank you to the thousands of you that have done those things for us already. The more of those we get, the more it helps the show to grow. Also, a big announcement I want to make is right now, pre-sales are now available for my new book, A Nefarious Carol, the sequel novella to A Nefarious Plot, which, by the way, today, pre-production on the film began about two months ago. Full production on the film actually begins today, as we speak, today. So we're very excited about that. The sequel book due out December the 15th uh, is now available for pre-sale at barnesandnoble.com, but also at amazon.com. Just go there right now. The link is on my Twitter account at Steve Dace Show on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Steve Dace, or just go to Amazon, search my name. It will come up. All right. So if you want that delivered just in time for Christmas for you, and it is sort of a Christmas themed book. You've read it, Todd. That's fair, right? It's sort of a Christmas thing. Absolutely. It's a perfect Christmas gift. It's patterned after a Christmas carol, just as my, as a nefarious plot was patterned after the screw tape letters. This is patterned after another one of my all time favorite stories, a Christmas carol, just albeit with a darker twist. All right. So you can learn more about it and get your pre-order today uh, for the novella sequel to A Nefarious Plot at Amazon.com right now. It's called A Nefarious Carol. I've heard from a bunch of you. These went up actually yesterday uh, on a Sunday and got the word out as soon as I could. I've heard from a bunch of you that have ordered it pre-sale already. Thank you very much. Appreciate all of that too. All right, let's get to our Monday Town Hall Facebook monthly Ask Me Anything edition brought to you by Rough Greens. You know, one of the things that makes me happiest as a dog owner is being able to take care of cap when it's not too expensive. (laughs) I had a nightmare last night. Um, I had a nightmare that I went to the pet store with my mother-in-law. I don't know why her and I went together. She's probably listening to this. Actually, she listens all the time. I went to the pet store with my mother-in-law and Cap, our dog. And we lost the dog. He just took off on us. And I like woke up and I'm like, is the dog okay? (laughs) It was so real. Like I lost the dog and my kids are like, never forgive me. Okay. That's so if you want to take good care of your dog, I guess number one, don't, Go with your mother-in-law to the pet store. Although the dog actually loves my mother-in-law more than he loves any of us. He like loses it if she comes over and doesn't take him home with her. But one of the, this is the other reason though that we give uh, uh, Cap rough greens because I have to take very good care of this dog. Otherwise, my kids will let me have it. Okay, Rough Greens Vita Smart uh, wants to help your dog with where we need help. Just like us, dogs have all sorts of complex nutritional needs. They need vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, probiotics, omega oils, etc. Things they, they would get in the wild if they weren't domesticated, but it's left out of their domesticated food. 
Often what you're buying in the store is dead food. Like a lot of the food we buy is dead. That's why we buy supplements. Same thing our dog needs as well. That's where Rough Greens comes in. It's a supplement you sprinkle on your dog's food and it's full of all the healthy things your dog's gonna love and need to be healthier and happier. And apparently it tastes great too because our dog Cap absolutely loves this stuff. You can take the Rough Greens 14-day Jumpstart Challenge today for just $14.95 and see if you don't see a difference in your dog in 14 days or less when you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze r-u-f-f is how it's spelled roughgreens.com slash blaze all right let's get to it we do this each month and we let you submit questions on our facebook page i don't see any of these questions todd you selected the questions that aaron will then ask me for the rest of the hour so aaron you're up very nice looking forward to this today there is one there is i know you like to be hit cold but i'm just uh I'm, I'm going to make you uh, break out in a cold sweat. There is one regarding eschatology coming up later on in the I am program. St- I, let me put it this way. I am more open to having eschatology <laughs> conversations than I ever have been in my entire career. <laughs> All right? In fact, commenso festival. Let's, let's do this. Is that a trumpet I hear or is that the bumper music? Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll start, though, with Randall Davis, who says, Steve, we all know of and you often demonstrate your vast knowledge of pop and rock music and bands. I haven't followed pop and rock music that much since I became a Christian in 80 and then was introduced to Christian contemporary music in 83. Do you have some Christian contemporary music you listen to or any favorite artists or bands you like or style of music, favorite songs? If so, what and who? Yeah, I I have an I have intimate knowledge of pop culture music pre about 2002 and not so much thereafter. So a lot of the newer stuff unless I picked it up from my kids, a lot of times playing, you know, pop music guitar hero and stuff with them i learned some songs and stuff that i like um but i don't have much knowledge before if it's pre-2002 i am your huckleberry now why 2002 well i got converted about a year later and then i i mean i was the jack black character from high fidelity if you know that movie i mean i was the music snob except for todd likes to bust my chops for the fact that um mariah carey's uh, music box and Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 came out like the same week when I was in college and everybody went to the campus store to get the GNR album and I went there to get the Mariah Carey CD. You like to bust my chops for that. But um, uh, but beyond that, I mean, I was kind of the music snob. I had to know who the new bands were first and stuff like that. I was very, very proud of my CD collection. My wife and I got married um, and when she moved in and wanted to like pollute Um, my, uh, I mean, I had quite the, I I took all my money and put it in a stereo set. I'd like concert size speakers in my, in, in my living room. Um, I had alphabetized and itemized CD collections. Okay. And when she moved in and just came down, you know, like that very first day and, and started filling up empty slots in my CD towers with toxins known as poison and other uh, bad 80s hair metal I said what you doing no no we're not we're not doing that here no no you can um, you can uh, you can have you can sing along to Brett Michaels talk dirty to me in another room in another CD tower I was that guy all right shortly after I got converted I got up one morning and I was just like you know a lot of this music is like really self-loathing so I just went to the used CD store. I mean, I spent years compiling this collection. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of, of CDs and stuff I had. And ended up just 
selling most of them. And then as then then we got into digital. I just and just uh, that's enough. We got into digital music now. I don't really have any CDs anymore. I think the only CDs I still have is many years ago I bought a refitted um, collection of every Led Zeppelin album with the album art, everything, but in a CD form. And I've, it's called The Vault. And I've, I still have it in my man cave now. That's like the only CDs I still own. So, I mean, I went through like a, a musical taste kind of sea change thing too. Um, I was really into contemporary Christian music for a while. It's not that I'm not anymore. It's just that I'm 47 now and I'm not really into really anything contemporary, anything anymore. <laughs> okay. But when I was, loved Mercy Me, um, loved Casting Crowns. Uh, those were absolutely uh, two of my favorites. Tell you what, here's what I can do right now. If you want some recommendations, I will go on my Amazon Music. Hopefully I have my phone on silent. And I have an entire section here in my music. So I have a Christmas section, a country faves. I've got things broken down by decades. All right. And I've got an entire worship section in here. Okay. So you're going to, there's, uh, there's a lot of Chris Tomlin in here. I'm a big Chris Tomlin guy. Um, there's a, there's some Nicole C. Mullen in here. One of the coolest things I ever got to experience as a dad is one of my good friends paid, obviously he's wealthier than me, uh, paid for Nicole C. Mullen. He flew her here, paid out of his pocket to shock his wife at a surprise for a surprise birthday gift. That was her favorite contemporary Christian music singer. Paid for her to fly to his home in suburban Des Moines and had a birthday party for her and Nicole C. Mullen just showed up and just started singing. And... One of the coolest things, I, I, I've tried to post this video on Facebook and Facebook takes it down claiming it's a copyright violation. But Zoe was, was much younger at the time. Anna was obviously younger, but was still probably 10 or 11 years old. And she was just getting into her singing lessons and singing at church and in performances. And uh, this friend of mine was like, you should have your daughters go up there and sing with Nicole. And she was okay with it. And so they started to sing Call on Jesus. And there's a moment where, where Anna hits this one note in the song. And, it, and I'm filming like a proud daddy the whole time. And there's a moment where Anna, she's 11, 12 years old, hits this one note in the song. And she's singing along with Nicole C. Mullen. And Nicole like looks at her like, whoa, I didn't know you, I didn't know you could get there. Okay. So that was really cool. But um I'm casting crowns in, in third day. Isn't I'm a huge third day fan. So third day casting crowns, mercy me. And there'll be others. Um, there's a few skillet songs I like, but those would be the big ones for me. And Chris Tomlin as well. And I I think I've mentioned this before. One of the coolest things I've ever experienced in my life is I was at a Promise Keepers event, probably now more than ten years ago, and Chris Tomlin was the music act. And he came out and did a live version of one of his signature songs, uh, famous one. And it was it was the we didn't know at the time it was the final song in the set. And when they when they get done, the crowd, the guys were all singing the chorus with with the band. The band puts down all their instruments, turns down all the lights, and just walks off so that there's no applause because they want to reinforce the message of the song that only Jesus is famous. So. 
that's that probably is much longer of an answer to this question than you guys anticipated. Cool. Very okay. nice. Right. Complete answer. Uh, Blake Johnson asks, uh, what are the most rewarding parts of doing talk radio for you? Has the list gotten smaller over time? <laughs> I've done political talk radio and find it increasingly difficult to keep going with it the more our society seems to morally crumble. How do you push forward? Uh, a few things. This is one of the few things in life I, I might legitimately have a chance to be excellent at. Okay. Um, so it's not like, and, and, and being really good at this, I think I've talked about this recently, being really good at this makes it difficult to transition out of it because you just get so tainted by the partisanship that people have a hard time. It's a little bit like, you know, what's the acting term? I think it's called typecast, right? Yeah. And Tom Welling, he had it in his contract for 10 years on Smallville that he was never going to wear the super suit because he thought it would, it would typecast him. Of course, what the hell's Tom Welling been in since Smallville went off the air, right? So the very last episode of the show, when he finally reveals himself to Metropolis, it's the culmination. He is Superman. They CGI'd all of that and it looks terrible. Um, his career would have been helped by putting on a Superman suit, I would guess. But, but actors are afraid of being typecast in certain roles, right? And so... If you're going to do this really well, you're going to get typecast. It's going to be difficult to transition out of this. I mean, I was reading something the other day where like Notre Dame is thinking of shunning Lou Holtz, one of the greatest coaches they've ever had. You did not really? Yes, because of the speech he gave at the RNC calling out Joe Biden for violating Catholic teaching on abortion and saying that that's, you know, he's, you know, that's not Catholic teaching. You can't claim to be a Catholic and be pro-abortion. Yeah. And and so <laughs> I mean, if you're almost 90-year-old Lou Holtz and you essentially rebuilt the Notre Dame football program and it's not been the same since you left, right? And this is a private religious school. And if, if he can get tainted by his own tribe, his own religious tribe on politics, by politics, what, a guy like me, how, do, how would I transition out of this? You're kind of almost stuck. Once you, It's hard to get into. And then once you're in, it's like the mob. It's really difficult to get out. <laughs> okay? So that's part of it. It's one of the few things in life I might have a legitimate chance to be excellent at. And it happens to also be another thing that it's a little bit like if you're really, in a way, it, it's, it, it's kind of hard to transition from porn to mainstream actress or actor. It's really difficult to transition from this out of into something else because you're just kind of branded by the politics of it. Um, and then the other part of it that keeps me going is um, I get to work with two guys I really like on a personal level that make it fun. A lot more fun than if I just came in here and did this on my own and, and was pontificating. That, that, you know, just having a chance to partner with them and that energy level makes it more enjoyable than it would be if I was on my own. Todd's, uh, Todd's energy level. <laughs> yes. And the third thing is there's worse ways to make a living than to get paid for standing up for what you believe in. Know what I'm saying? There's worse ways to make a living than that. A lot worse ways. But trust me, there are plenty, there, the, the, there's been plenty of times I'm just like, man, am I really going to do this the rest of my life? I don't know. But I'm going to do it today. Very well said. Up next, Becky James. Have you been following with the movement Stand Up Michigan? They're at 300,000 signatures to repeal the 1945 law, giving the governor so much power. This is the first I've heard of it, actually. And so 
This is a very clever way to get exposure on a national show and a very clever way for Todd to manipulate the process for it to gain exposure on the show. That I was not the only... Uh, somebody else, a different name, asked okay. the exact same thing, which is okay. why I paid attention. Now, I'm going to warn you, though, that could hurt you. Meaning, if if, if you're just, you know, 300,000 is nothing to sneeze at. But if you're going to start getting championed on a national show like this, and we're on Facebook's radar, they're fact-checking us all of the time, by the way. So, I'm, I'm a little concerned that having us tout you, like... I, I would recommend you not have me link on my Facebook page to your group. I'm dead serious. I'd recommend you don't have somebody like Glenn Beck with a far bigger audience than what I have to do it. So go populist, not partisan yeah, yes. is what you're saying. Yeah, because you don't want to get on their radar too much. They're, they're canceling groups like yours. They've been doing it since the start of the lockdowns. Um, now, you guys have found a clever way to oppose the lockdowns without opposing them, which is we're, we're doing an issue advocacy of repealing executive power. That's a clever way of doing it. So maybe having us here at the Blaze Amplify a group like yours, maybe there's a you've kind of figured out a way to do an end run around it. If it was a straight up end the lockdowns in Michigan, absolutely having us pick that up and champion it for you would get your group banned. I've seen other groups, all kinds of these groups get banned. So that's a pretty clever way of kind of doing an end run around the Facebook algorithm, meaning the avocado toast uh, lefties that decide what you get to see. I like it. Up next is Richard Kaiser, who asks, I keep hearing how smart Trump is. In spite of that, he sure has bungled the COVID thing big time, in my humble opinion. And the peaceful protests are another problem, saying things like it is patriotic to wear a mask. And we are working at warp speed to get a vaccine. Do you really believe he's on our side? Well, let me start with the first statement. Um, I think we have to define smart. I think, let me start with myself. I think a lot of people think I'm smart because I was blessed by my maker with an insane amount of recall capacity. And then he gave me a talent to communicate a lot of that recall in a way that makes it accessible to other people, right? But, I mean, I'm not like a deep-seated intellectual, Guys, I failed the math portion on the ACT. I've told the story a million times. I, I flunked uh, the quick trip managerial exam because I couldn't remember how to multiply and divide fractions. So there's, there's different ways to define smart. Do I view, do I think Donald Trump is intellectual? No, not at all. I think Donald Trump is the is the is the uncle I'd have used this analogy before too. He's the uncle that annoys you on Thanksgiving because he sits and he's retired and just watches cable news all day. And he thinks because he reads the chirons at the bottom that he's deeply informed. And then the minute you bring in some fact that you know is true that blows up whichever narrative he's buying into that Thanksgiving, uh, he gets belligerent on you. Okay. And so you've just decided that the only way to avoid, to not have this happen and ruin everybody's Thanksgiving in this year is, I'm just not going into that room. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm not going to the room where they're watching cable news. I'm going to the room where they're watching the football game, right? Okay. But I think he's extremely clever. He is crafty. I guess we'll use that term. He's very clever, very crafty. He has an impeccable sense of timing when it comes to advancing and defending his brand. 
And I think that's those are great assets for acquiring the presidency. But they only go so far in maintaining a presidency, particularly in the times in which we live now. If he had been president, say, 20 years ago, when, you know, was, uh, there's a clip going around, and I shared it on my Twitter feed yesterday, when, t- when Tucker Carlson did a show on MSNBC, Aaron's like, that happened? <laughs> yeah. I mean, 20 years ago, Alan Keyes had a show on MSNBC, guys, and he's too right-wing for most conservative media nowadays, all right? But um, Tucker Carlson had a show on MSNBC 20 years ago. And he just looks like a younger version of himself right now. Like it, it, that's what Tucker Carlson looks like. He's just got the, the, the locks are more flowing than they are today. It's just right. And he's on television. You got to see this clip, man, with Rachel Maddow. And I didn't recognize her. She's like a different. That's like what you see on TV now is not an older version of the woman in this clip. This is like a different human being. She's undergone like a metamorphosis. Like you wouldn't recognize her at all. At all. Like a different human. But they're having this collegial conversation about the 2000 congressional elections and what the latest poll numbers show and what the breakdown is. And they don't agree, but it's very civil and they're yanking each other's chains. Have you watched this clip? No. Yeah. And they're going, have you watched it, Aaron? Yeah. Am, I, am I underselling that the, that, that no, does not look like Rachel Maddow whatsoever? Joking around. No. But, um, and I saw Barstool, I saw this clip from Barstool Sports. They, they tweeted it out and said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we can get Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow to have a conversation like this these days? And I tweeted back to them, 20 years ago, we had worldview issues, but it wasn't mainstream in 20 years ago to have a different definition of gender, border, criminal, and marriage, right? It was 20 years ago. We didn't have that. 20 years ago, the idea that the state would come in and say, you as you as a religious believer have to make a cake with the message that you think is right out of the doctrines of hell, or we're going to put you in jail. Nobody would even contemplated this. They weren't doing that in San Francisco 20 years ago, guys. 20 years ago, the idea that the U.S. government would come to a, a, a convent of nuns that had taken a vow of chastity and say, we, we think you guys really should, you know, pay for baby kills. What? Are, are, am I being punked? Maybe there is the multiverse. This is not, maybe that's on another earth, but we don't do that on this one. All right. It's when, when, when the fundamentals aren't as frayed now, as they 20 years ago as they are now, it's much easier to have. Now you're just kind of ball busting. You have disagreements, right? Maybe even some passionate ones, but I don't think you're a terrible human being for disagreeing with me. But if you have a different definition of criminal than I do, I might. If you have a different, no matter which side of that divide you're on. Kind of hard. I think rioters are thugs and criminals. I think rioters are uh, peaceful protesters. Where's the middle ground there, Todd? Find it for me. Do you know where that's at? Yeah. I don't know where it is. I think marriage is between a man and a woman. I think marriage is whatever the hell you want it to be. And if you don't agree with me, I think we can, you know, take your freedom and liberty away. Okay, well, let's talk compromise. Where is it? Do you know where it is? It doesn't exist. I don't think it does. I think, you know, that um, you should stay locked down in your homes, but we're going to open the border up and let people from Mexico invade Hidalgo County with their COVID cases so that the entire state of Texas now has to wear a mask outdoors. 
because we won't secure our border. What's a citizen? Aaron, do you know where the middle ground is? Where's the 50, 60? Where's even the 70, 30 there? Do you know? Hmm. I don't know where that is. Do you know where it is? No. I don't either. I could, You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of these were things that weren't even on the radar 20 years ago. So, I mean, guys, 20 years ago, it was a scandal that the president got oral sex from a consenting adult and lied about, under, lied about it under oath. We now have one president that we know had sex with a porn star while his wife was pregnant. And, or no, was she nursing, maybe? I think she'd actually had Baron. And then the, the other guy has a history of uh, creepy ick factor, um, creepy Joe videos, smelling women's hair, hugging them too tight, grabbing them, etc. Well, had a, has had a staffer in the last year come yes. out and accuse him of things, yes. and that got memory hold. And, and one of the best U.S. senators right now is an open bisexual woman. Straight up, she's one of the best senators we have right now in terms of not necessarily her voting record, although it's better than half the Republicans, but just like her interest in trying to find like common sense solutions and work with people across the aisle, right? I think she's one of the best senators we have right now. The idea that she could possibly be elected being openly bisexual 20 years ago was not even on the radar, man. Not even in California would that happen. So it, it's harder to come to civility now. And 20 years ago, a guy like Donald Trump, I think, could have run a much more streamlined presidency in that environment. Because much of what went on would have been a negotiation. And that's his, that's his thing, right? That's what he does, negotiate stuff. The problem we have now is the worldview chasm is stark. And his worldview is not really deep. It's, he's an instinctive American. That's why, he, taught, that's why he, he responds well to that crowd, because he's instinctive. He's not really anchored by a worldview. And that's why I think a lot of times he makes arguments that are emotional and instinctive rather than philosophical and logical in taking down the very premises that he is being attacked with. So I think we've got to even answer what the question smart, what the, what the definition of smart is. And in terms of therefore being on our side, then we got to define is what's our side? I, I mean, I will tell you, I see the two sides differently than I did four years ago. And it's in reaction to what I see. Go look at what the convention that go look at the convention the Democrats ran four years ago and look at the one they ran two weeks ago. That's another earth, man. I mean, it, that's a totally different planet country they're talking about. And the, so I feel like if I don't react to that, I'm kind of deceiving myself, right? Oh yeah, I think I have it's, to react to what they're 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 telling me who they are. This is their chance to put their best front for, best foot forward. So, um. I, should I just assume that they were just lying to me then? I mean, they could have been, but they chose to convey to me that their message is Cooksville. That's their message. Well, Richard is very concerned about Trump's art of the deal. We've become very concerned about who the left is telling us what their yeah. art of the deal is. And it is what you said for a while. Either you slit your own throat or we're going to yes. slit it for you. So I see our side now as there's the left America, a hostile invading force. And then there's what's left of America. Do I believe Donald Trump is a member of what's left of America? Yeah. For sure. 
Do I think, in fact, I don't even think that's a debatable point. No. I agree. Now, if you define our side differently, I might have a different answer. I might disagree with you about what the sides are at the moment, okay? But I think we have to define, to answer your question, what is smart? How do we define that? And how do we define our side? And I think the way that you answer those two things probably determines how, I would, how someone would answer your question. Now, you may have a different definition of who's on our side. Okay. You're entitled to that. You may feel as if you morally can't justify voting for Donald Trump no matter what. I, I mean, okay. I'm trying to think. If I, can you think of in a single moment you've ever known me or worked with me that I have urged someone to violate their conscience, even if I disagreed, if I thought they were coming from a place of legitimate... No, no. Um, of legitimate you know thoughtfulness no because then is the same true donald trump is not the main variable i agree he's not the second you do yep that's where things get really hard i agree whenever you make him the main variable you become either cheeto jesus saves or orange man bad right and we kind of we're just not into either one of those here on this show we'll get to more of your questions here in a moment You know, trying to sell your home is challenging in any environment, but especially get your shot glass ready in these unprecedented times. That's right. Hopefully the FCC is listening. We mixed in our uh, our mandated reference to the unprecedented times in which we live. We got it in. Take a drink. But uh, especially trying to sell a home in these unprecedented times is difficult. That's why you need a real estate agent who's going to come in and take charge of the situation. Now, where would you find such an agent? Where would you find an agent that you can trust? I know. How about a place called realestateagentsitrust.com? It uh, is Glenn Beck's company, and they put it together because they had their own difficulty finding real estate agents that they could trust, and they didn't want to go through that again and didn't want our listeners and viewers here at The Blaze to have to suffer through that as well. Because let's face it, an agent isn't going to put right there on their website, I'm not very good at this. They're not going to do that. They're not going to list on their website skills, procrastination, not returning phone calls, getting uh, at the last minute asking you, hey, can I bring a buyer by when you've been home for 10 minutes? They're not going to do stuff like that. Hey, what do you think about another open house this weekend that no one shows up at? Can you clean your house immaculately for us one more time? They don't say that on the site, right? So you want somebody that's going to do the vetting for you, and that's what they do for you at realestateagentsitrust.com. The name again kind of says it all. Realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Let's get back to our Money Town Hall. It's our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything edition. We'll go next to Gordon Smith, who asks, once the lockdown is officially over, or as much as possible that it's now known the easy how easy it was to do, will people be able to let go of this habit of harassment of those who are not masked or distancing, allowing us to get back to where we were in 2019? I think that's a fantastic question. I, I agree. I, this, is, I, this is the part of this. I mean, what the, the, the panic porn straw man is unraveling um we're we're in the if 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 the if panic porn were a 90s grunge song it would be weezer's sweater song okay it is unraveling thread by thread with every guitar lick 
And now you've got the, you know, the CDC, and we had this stat for you last week. Now everybody's jumping on it. The CDC admitted last week that 6% of deaths were actually from COVID, not with COVID. Now let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that there's only there's less than 10,000 deaths because 94,000 deaths had nothing to do with COVID. That's not what it means. It's, it's a little bit like um, if I was a smoker, did I die of lung cancer or did I die of smoking, right? Okay. Um, well, one kind of led to the other. Okay, there's a reason why they're called comorbidities. They come alongside the morbidities you have and exacerbate the situation. So you've, you've got to look at it more broadly than, well, that just means that 94% of the deaths are fake. That's, that's not what it means, but it does mean that a substantial amount of them are. Yeah. Especially when the average, I believe, is 2.6 comorbidities per death, according to CDC. So it's not just that they had a, a, cor- a comorbidity, but that it was 2.6 comorbidities. So it's pretty obvious when you start talking about when doctors are telling you, hey, have you got autoimmune like our Glenn Beck has? So he self-isolated for quite a while here, but he's back at work or diabetes. These are things that weaken the immune system. So it's pretty obvious that what COVID does, what COVID-19 is, um, if you have something that threatens the efficacy of your immune system, this thing will, uh, will, We'll um, give it more cowbell. That's who. You, and now that also then would be why it primarily kills who? The, the elderly. elderly. Because who has the weakest immune systems? They do. They do. Who has the most comorbidities? They do. They do. Okay. Um, what's, what's a nursing home? A cauldron of comorbidities and immune deficiencies. That's really what it is, right? So that is unraveling the case numbers are unraveling because of the now we're looking critically at the testing the new york times story that we had earlier in the show really really everything because if the if if we don't have to register them as a positive case because they're not contagious do you know what that does to the whole asymptomatic spread canard doesn't eliminate it but it, it obliterates it as a talking point because there's a reason why we don't feel like if you're asymptomatic with the flu, you have to, we, we have to lock the country down. Because the amount of, of ways that you will, you'll, you'll communicate that asymptomatically isn't worth the cost of that because very few people are going to get an asymptomatic death from a flu. I think there was the largest contract, contact tracing study that's been done of the virus came out about two weeks ago and it found 8% of the cases, 8% out of over 3,000 cases at contact traced, 8% could be traced to asymptomatic spread. And they were all some of the weakest cases in the sample. So if, if, if we're testing a whole bunch of asymptomatic people as positive that aren't contagious anymore, that asymptomatic spread canard is out the window. That's gone. That talking point's dead as a doornail too. Everything Team Lockdown argued against for the last five months has all been wrong. It's either been a lie or wrong, depending on the person. Either they were just wrong or they lied to you. So this narrative is completely unraveling in real time as we speak. I believe next this time next year, 
you're going to get ready for college football with home and away games and fans packed in the stands. I do believe that, regardless of who wins in November. Same thing with the NFL. Here's what I don't know. Whether you'll have to wear a mask if you go. That's the part I don't know the answer to. And I, th- I and it's because that instinctive group in the middle that I talked about last hour, they're very split on masks. That instinctive group in the middle there, some of them want to wear masks because they think they help when they don't. Others are like, screw that, I'm not wearing a mask. But they don't like have the best reason for not wearing a mask. They just don't like like them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that instinctive group in the middle, I don't know where they will be. I don't. Like, let me give you a plausible scenario. Next cold flu season, we don't have a second wave, per se. Nothing like what we feared. But we do see not even a mass spike in new cases, but a spike of the deadly cases because it's cold and flu season. Immunity, immunity systems are already weakened that time of year, and we get another round of elderly kind of deaths. And you want to keep the kids in school, mask up. I, don't, I think there's going to be a very small percentage of us that will stand up and fight that in February of next year. So while I think there will be an NCAA tournament next year, and I think there will be fans there, I think it's possible you could all be wearing masks if you want to go. The mat, Where the mask debate goes is the one area I'm not certain of how that ends. So today's the deadline. Denmark told us that they were going to put out a controlled study on masks by the end of August, and today's August 31st. We've heard nothing. Now, Denmark isn't mandating masks, so we're all assuming that their controlled study on masks and COVID-19 isn't going to recommend wearing masks, otherwise the country would have mandated it, right? But we don't know that. Are we going to do a controlled study in our country? Because we have data points in other countries, Norway, all the Scandinavian countries basically, are they've done all the science on the masks and they don't work. But we don't have any of that in our own country yet. We have common sense, which is, hey, if masks didn't help me with a larger microbe during flu season, why are they helping with a smaller microbe for COVID-19, right? Yeah. But that's not an easy case to make in a sentence or, or two. So I don't, I don't know where the mask debate will be this time next year. I don't. I think that's way up in the air. We'll move on to Philip Seacrest, who says, why do you keep calling the protests and riots mass spreader events we should have been calling them herd immunity enhancement gatherings. I think that would drive them nuts. <laughs> That's clever. Well, you guys know I'm dubious of outdoor spread of COVID. Why? Because the data is dubious of outdoor spread of COVID. But not all outdoor not all outdoor events are the same. Okay? There's the outdoor event where we all come to an organized you know, like a Oktoberfest, okay? And we all come together, you know, to sample beer and everybody's got hand sanitizer everywhere and we're wiping everything down and we're using disposable cups, okay? But we're all outside, there's plenty of porta-potties and it's a sanitary uh, situation. That that would be one, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's, let's get a bunch of people together in the middle of the night who are 
peeing in you know what everywhere, touching everything, um, swapping all forms of bodily fluids. Air quality is low because you're burning the city to the ground. Yes, yeah. That's a different outdoor event, guys. I mean, I've talked about this before. The, vi- the virus shows up in human waste. When Italy wanted to contact trace the origins of the virus in its country, when, when it arrived, what did Italy go through? It's sewers. It, it went through the septic system. It went through, it, it, it traced it through waste products. So while I'm dubious of outdoor spread of coronavirus, because the data is, you know, the vast majority of spreads are, are intrafamilial and indoors. And it's not even close. In some studies, it's been like 80%. But if you're going to have an event where we're all going to get together and defecate everywhere and urinate everywhere, I don't know. That could be a little bit different. Although, a good counter to what I just said is, well, then, Steve, where's all the COVID cases with the homeless? That's a good counter to that as well. So, Speaking of COVID cases, did you guys see that story about the Amazonian tribal chief who tested positive for uh, coronavirus? True story. I did not. True story. The Hill has it today. Uh, Moving on, Angela Rich says, has the current events, uh, have the current events uh, influenced your view of eschatology? If so, how? Well, it's not the greatest, you know, hermeneutical premise to have, that's what's called eisegesis, where you take events as you force, as you see them or experience them in your own life and impose them on the word of God. Right? So then there's what's called exegesis. You want to be on that side where you let the word of God influence your view on the decisions you make in your life and the events that take place in your life. So I, I kind of think that if I just decided now uh, I was pre meal all the way based on what's going on, I'd be doing the wrong side of the argument here. But I'm also a human being and experientially does it seem intellectually more attainable for me to see how the masses could could be dumped into a scenario where they would agree to take a mark for example some sort of technological signature that says it is safe for you uh, you're viable for you to take part in the public sp- public sphere. Well, I mean, we're literally talking about this right now when it comes to vaccination. So, yeah, sure. Could I foresee how a mass deception could cause the world, for the most part, except for a select few, to lose their damn minds and go along with it? Asked and answered, Your Honor, right? We've been living through that for the last five months. So just speaking for me personally, um, and I've talked about this with my own conversion, the fact that Christianity sufficiently answered the most important questions of this world. I didn't say it satisfactorily answered them. (laughs) All right? I didn't say I liked all the answers I got, but they were sufficient. Intellectually, they were sufficient. It, It was... 
it was reason it was not just faith but there was reason there um the same applies to you know other the, to the theological views that come from christianity it does seem more intellectually sufficient and palatable palatable to me that such a, a chain of events could occur but that doesn't mean still though that the biblical case for that position is any stronger than it was before i'm not don't confuse those two things you know what i'm saying yeah my my intellectual um acceptance is not the same as biblical exegesis i'm not the bible i'm steve that's all all right. Uh, Kelly Adkins says, is it a sin to drink alcohol? I've always been taught that it is, but I don't know of anywhere in the Bible where it says this. Well, we get into all kinds of arguments with this, but I mean, Paul says to Timothy to drink wine because the water where he is uh, traveling, serving, makes him sick, uh, turns his stomach. Jesus' first miracle was to turn water to wine. Now, when you come up with these things, there are people who are adamant about the alcohol thing and they'll get into like arguments of, well, that wine wasn't as fermented in the first century as it is today and all those other things. So I, I, um, I I believe attempting to use anything of this world to medicate yourself out of the responsibility and purpose of your life that is divinely given is idolatry and a sin. Whether that is sex, and sex isn't sinful, it's how we perpetuate the species and one of the strongest um, expressions of intimacy that we grant to one another. But if I'm using it for that, then it is. Um, And I think that probably applies to things like, and again, this is my view, but you're asking me, that applies to things like alcohol. My wife has not seen me drunk in over 20 years, but um, we have enjoyed going out, you know, about once a week for the last few weeks. We still can't, there's still not a, the state is open, but there's still not a lot of really fun things to do. Yeah. So one of the things we've enjoyed doing is going in and sampling different uh, uh, martini flavors and things of that nature. But she hasn't seen me drunk, you know, since before we had children. It's Steve at stevedace.com. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that's it. Good questions this month, guys. But they're good questions most months. I always enjoy doing this. I have a ton of fun with it. We're going to stick around and do the overtime and talk about domestic terrorism. BlazeTV.com slash Dace if you don't want to miss that. For the rest of you, we are back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV radio podcast. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.